Big Fluff. Morning, Ralph. Oh, hey. My sex ed condoms came. Oh. And looks like I ordered enough to get the free dildo. <laughs> oh, uh... Oh, don't worry. I'm giving it to a friend. I am totally asexual, Ralph. <laughs> Actually, no, Ralph, I'm not totally asexual. I'm, I am fully sexual, and this dildo is for me, for sex purposes. Have a nice day. Stop having those delivered to school! This is Jean Villapeak, and you're listening to Hobo Radio. Bring your own bindo. BYOB. And now, your host, miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And today, I am very excited to bring to you my interview with Jean Villapique, who is one of the funniest people on the planet and also one of the most delightful people to talk to. I, I really enjoyed this talk. Uh, I talked to Jean about her guest spot on The Office. I talked to her about uh, working on Better Call Saul. And of course, I talked to her about her starring role as Michelle on AP Bio. And we just had a, a conversation about improv and comedy and all kinds of things, eating food uh, during filming. There's a lot of fun stuff in this interview. I promise you, you're going to dig it. Whether you are a fan of Jean Villapique or you're just discovering her for the first time listening to this. Uh, so without further ado, enjoy my interview with Jean Villapique. I feel like I always hear your name in Paul F. Tompkins' voice from Spontaneous oh. Nation, like the way I feel like that was the first time I ever heard you. So I always, whenever I think of your name, I just always think of he had a very like lyrical way of saying Jean Villapique. He has a lyrical way of saying everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I guess that's a place yeah. to start too. Like I, I really enjoyed that show. I know for me that was uh, a lot of like where I first remember like at least hearing you and clocking your name for sure. Wow. That was, uh, I think uh, Paul invited me to join because he had worked with Craig Kukowski. I'm sure. I'm sure that's why he had worked with Craig Kukowski. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. I can't remember the name of the amazing, the thrilling adventure hour. Show. Yes. Is that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that the full title? I think I got it. Um, so anyway, I had known Craig for for many, many years from um, improvising in Chicago and um I think Craig recommended me. And at the time, I really had nothing going on. I was in quite a dark space. And to have somewhere to show up and participate and be able to play, I was so grateful. That was such a fun show, too. Like, I really liked the concept of that. Uh, of just, I mean, obviously, it's a pretty simple improv concept. But just the interviews were always really fun. And then the improv, like, it always seemed like you guys were having a really good time doing yeah, it. Yeah, that was the first time for me improvising up. Uh, on a podcast. I had only improvised on stage before that. And it was so odd because I'm used to doing a lot of what they call object work and movement and like 
doing I, I taught for many years too, like show, don't tell, do a lot of, you know, <laughs> your silent responses. And I had to really quickly adjust and make sounds and say everything. It's, it's, it's a quite a different way to improvise. It was also, yeah. I mean, it was kind of, uh, cause I I've done improv too. Like, so, um, it, it was also sort of like a very silly form of improv, like not necessarily what you'd be taught, like more of like the fun, Sunday night show that you're doing <laughs> kind of vibe. Definitely. I, I definitely came. I, I, I am guilty of taking myself too seriously in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I think in improv, I have done that a lot too. And this was just so silly and just like, we're going to call this out and wink, wink and be playful. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. And uh, that was another adjustment. And it's so much fun to play that way too. It's important I guess as, a, as any artist, but especially as an improviser to keep playing with different people and try different styles so that you don't get sort of stuck and think this is the way, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, a lot of times, like, I feel like improvisers feel a certain way and then the audience usually feels completely differently. And you're like, oh man, like we messed this up or we didn't follow these rules. And then you talk to someone afterwards and it was like, it was funny when you did the voice, like they don't care. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that is true too with, I, there I was in Chicago for a long time doing improv and there are some real improv snobs that came out of Chicago and really deep into long form and this and that. And I was like, well, and you know, the different, I'm assuming, you know, the difference between long form and short form, oh, and yeah, short form yeah. Is, you know, the games and stuff. And I was like, well, short form is fun and people love to watch <laughs> short form. It's not bad. Uh, I, I, I think they're just two different ways to entertain people and, yeah, I, yeah. Once you start to say this is better than the other way, it's just like forget it. The audience will decide, and there's so many different audiences. So yeah, you get that thing too. It's or it's like because I maybe you had this a lot too. I would get a lot of like I do improv, and they'd be like, oh, like whose line? And you knew the people mm -hmm. that you perform with who'd be like, what we do is nothing like whose line is it anyway? Like it is right. completely different. <laughs> exactly. Where guess what? It came from the same roots. Right. Yeah. No, that's, different branches of the same tree. Yeah. Yeah. And short form is super crowd pleasing and audiences yes. love it. Like, yeah. And it builds great skills. Short form is uh, uh, Boom Chicago is a ton of short form. And look who came out of there. Extraordinarily successful and talented people who just practiced delivering quickly and making big, strong choices and committing to it instead of like really subtly referencing this <laughs> 1978 movie with it's just like. I don't know. Not to now I'm kind of shitting on people who do that, but. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Yeah. There's definitely some like, yeah. It, well, it's like, again, I think it's the difference between performing for improvisers and performing for audiences, I think. Or, definitely. Yeah. I think that is uh, something people fall into or fell into in those theaters, in all of the improv theaters, when their students came to see shows, it was like, now I'm going to show off what I teach and make it look really, really hard. And, you know, instead of just. Yeah. Performing for I, working at the Second City it was like people are just coming in from tourist uh, buses. I almost said boats, maybe boats. Maybe <laughs> they came down the river. Um, but yeah, they they don't they don't care. They just want to laugh. They don't care how you're they want to know how the sausage is made. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, let me jump back to. So how did you get into improv? Like, how did you get into performing? Where did the interest come from? Um, well, I, in high school, I, I guess I had seen plays. I, I'm from a small town in New Jersey and I had seen some plays growing up in high school and I was like, I want to do that. And we had a drama department. I don't even know if schools have drama departments anymore, but 
public schools. I went to public school and we did. I don't think there's one there anymore. But um, uh, anyway, I think it came from a very unhealthy desire to just like wear dresses and express myself and sing. And I, I remember I got to see Phantom of the Opera in New York and I was like, I listened to it every day. I've got books. I got, I just like really, I just wanted to feel something special. And a lot of it is just like unchecked mental illness, <laughs> you know, like a need for attention or a need for to escape and stuff like that. So I think there's a balance. I also do think I'm an artist and I do value all that. I don't think it's just like on all unhealthy people, but there, I think there is an element of that too for some performers when they're young. Um, so with that combo, I, uh, went to college to study theater and there was an improv group in, I had just auditioned for everything as a freshman. And I really wanted to be a musical theater actress because I just thought that was the, those were the Queens of, I thought the stage was everything. And television was selling out. I guess at 18, I already knew that <laughs> commercials was selling out or whatever. So, uh, I had just auditioned for everything and I auditioned for this improv show, but I also didn't, I had never really heard of improv before because it was 1991 and there wasn't the internet in my world. Was the internet there yet? Do you know? If, I think it existed somewhere, I think, but not to all of us. I think it was like just later Al 90s. Gore's basement. Yeah, exactly. And, he was making those series of tubes and like, yes. Yeah. So I, I auditioned for the show anyway, and I had one of of just a very lucky someone explained to me i think we did a short form game called party quirks in the audition and they were like you you're a contact lens and you're in a church and go and i was just like huh and luckily luckily i went to church a lot growing up um <laughs> and i just was like my soul doth magnify the lord like this sudden like this thing clicked in my head of like church and contact lens what you know where do these intersect and um and then I just discovered this world and uh, did that show all through college. And I was in co college near Chicago and my second year of school, um, a lot of the other performers in this group were like from Chicago and they're like, well, you have to see the second city. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And I didn't know what any of it was. It was like, um, I don't know. I was going to say Harold and the Purple Crayon, but I guess he sort of creates his own world. I was just discovering it bit by bit. And anyway, I went to Second City and saw that show and I was like, this is a fucking job. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Can I swear? Sorry. Yeah, you can. No, you're good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, when you walk in the building, there are just pictures of John Belushi. And I had definitely watched Saturday Night Live a lot and uh, was obsessed with Eddie Murphy and I walked up. Anyway, in the cast were Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. And I was, oh, wow. And they yeah. were brilliant. So we watched the sketch part of the show. And then um, the, there was a free improv. Uh, I was going to say jam afterwards. Improv set after the show. And they were so, I mean, they were just up there in suits being so brilliant and playful and making it look so easy. And I was like, this is, this is a job. This is for me. And then I had to try to explain it to my parents who were already like... <laughs> You're pursuing being an actor. And then I was like, even more specific and challenging <laughs> of pursuing working at this one place. Yeah. Yeah. More specific and probably, you know, much less lucrative. I'm pursuing yes. this very niche thing that yes. you have never heard of. And Steve Carell and, and Steve Colbert are not famous yet. So I can't even right. explain that they do Trust it too. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, they came to see some improv shows in Chicago and we were beginner improv 
kids and they were just like, what is happening? <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> what are you doing? I've definitely had that talk with my dad after he came to see improv of like, that was interesting. They, okay. You, so you guys didn't write that down. All right. Like those conversations. I think interesting is the go-to word for parents mm -hmm. and they're yeah. just panicking. Yes. Where did you do improv? Uh, I'm from Baltimore. So they're, yeah. Uh, yeah, did the Baltimore scene. There was the Baltimore improv group uh, and did some UCB stuff when I was on the East Coast. I'm in LA now, but uh but yeah, got to do, got, so I got to see all that, like, you know, uh, got to be a part of that, like, stuff, That's which great. is all super fun. And did all of the, like, we did that thing called Unscripted, where it was a two-act play that you improvised. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, so, all right, so you're, you're at Second City, you, you have very specific, you're not going to sell out, you have, you have a clear... <laughs> artistic vision i have waited tables for 10 years now. yeah yeah, yeah. so what so how how do you end up uh you know transitioning into uh the the gene villa peak that we see on ap bio now like what happens um more <laughs> lots of mistakes well i i really had wanted to live in new york i i kind of had this romantic idea of living as an actress in new york and i wanted to do that so when i was kind of done at Second City, there's a kind of a point where you've done your thing when you have had that job and either they let you know or you say it. So I, I realized I had done my thing and it was either moved to New York or LA. And I had a real um, uh, chip on my shoulder about LA. And I think it's a common Chicago thing or an East Coast thing of like LA is full of ding-a-lings who just like you know <laughs> superficial and blah 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 and they're not real artists and uh so a friend of mine was opening uh a theater i had reached out to him and he had uh we had gone to college together and i um reached out and he was living in new york and i said i'm not sure and he had been in la and i said what do you think and he said i'm about to open an improv theater come stay live with my family they had a beautiful they were staying in a brownstone and Brooklyn and they were like, come stay here and teach and you have a job and a community. And I was like, that's where I'm going. I just didn't want to fly out to LA and be like, now what? So he was open. It's Ed Herbsman is his name. And uh, he opened the Magnet Theater with oh, yeah. Armando Diaz. Yeah. Yeah. So I taught there and it was a huge to go from performing at the Second City, which is like hundreds of people every night. And you just have this like muscle developed of doing all of these shows and then helping to build this community and teaching and performing in a very small theater in New York that had no, uh, there wasn't, we, we were creating, I don't, wouldn't say context, but we were creating the, the culture for it. And I was like, I'm used to not having to do this work and, you know, not having to sort of produce show or sell, you know, tell people to come see my show. So that was a good, um, humbling lesson of you don't, you don't just get to coast. You have to keep, proving yourself. And I wrote a solo show when I lived there. Um, uh, and then I performed it at, well, that's not really interesting. <laughs> um, I, I was gonna say I performed at the Chicago improv festival, but that didn't really get me to LA. I really, I realized after two years living in New York that I was only teaching improv and hanging out with my students who were like 10 years younger than I was. And I was like, this isn't, I'm not going, my life is not progressing in any way. So I, I flew out to LA during pilot season, but I didn't have an agent or anything, but luckily Allison Jones, who's this brilliant casting director who cast the office and, and so many things 
was a big and is a big fan of Chicago improvisers. So she had come through and seen Second City shows and a friend of mine introduced me to her when I was performing there. So I flew out and a friend of mine was like, just call their office and say you're there. And I was like, you don't just call <laughs> casting. And really, I wouldn't recommend anyone do this either. But um, because she knew who I was, it wasn't like I was cold calling. I was like, hey, I got my headshots. You know, um, we had met and she called me in to audition for the office. And I I remember just going into her her. She's no longer on Gower Street, but it it's near Paramount and going, I was like, this is Hollywood. This is it. And then it was just a small office in a small hallway. And there were a lot of people sitting in chairs along the way. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I, I expected her to have like a throne and a gigantic <laughs> room or, um, and then I walked in and I almost started crying because I was so grateful. I hadn't really auditioned in New York and I didn't have an agent. I was like, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And she was like, relax, you'll get this. It's great. You know? And I was like, no way just to even be here. And she was like, I think she was like, please relax. And, just <laughs> and I got cast in, in this episode of the office and was just like, what? Like <laughs> it was, it was really crazy at that time. I was staying at a friend's house in Silver Lake. They were, she was shooting something elsewhere and they drove the script to the house. They used to drop off the scripts at your door and um, the night before and I didn't sleep at all. I was so nervous. And I, I called a friend of mine, Scott Adsit, who had worked at Second City too. And I know he'd been on the show. And I was like, what do I do? I don't know what I'm doing. And he was like, as soon as you meet the first PA, put their phone number in your phone. You know, like, here's how you navigate being on set. Because I really just didn't know really what I was doing. So he helped me figure that out. And then, yeah. Is that too long of an answer? No, it's great. And I love Scott Adsit, so it's nice to hear. That. He's so kind. And that yeah. was he was just so generous with that information. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So then so from that point, so then then you had the office. So then that was like that was the the confidence to keep going or that was like enough to to put you in L.A. That was, I thought it was easy to get jobs. <laughs> you just show just up, you call them. <laughs> You just yeah, call, audition one time, and you're a guest star, and it's easy. Yeah. So uh, I moved to L.A., and I do – I remember everyone being like, you don't have a team? You you don't have a team? You're just moving out there? Or you're just going out there? And um, I moved out, and I think Tina Fey – so then in the meantime, I moved out here – Jack McBrayer, who's also a friend, had just done the pilot of 30 Rock and he was moving out to New York. So I stayed in his apartment when I I sublet from him while he was there. And he was like, send your headshots to the casting folks in New York and I'll tell them you're, you know, your friend. And so I sent my stuff there and they called me. Oh man, I was on like a vacation in Chicago and I remember I had an agent in Chicago and I was like, I just got asked through my space to audition for 30 Rock. And the agent was like, wow, you're really tan and you put on some weight. I was like, cool, can we do this? Can we just do this audition? So I auditioned and then I flew back home and I fell asleep and woke up. I remember it was September 11th oh, and wow. they were like, can you come out? We want you, you need to fly out today. And I was just like, what? Like I had over, you know, I might turn my phone off because I just didn't think I had gotten that. So luckily it was like $200 to fly on September 11th because it was still pretty close to the original September 11th. 
I mean, great. It's so nice that I got some fortunate luck out of that. <laughs> it really worked out for you. <laughs> what a gross thing to say. I'm so sorry. But it, uh, I flew out and then. It's um, the 20th anniversary. Was... I can't believe you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just me, me, me. I don't care about entire cities. And um, uh, so I flew out and did that. And luckily I'd had a little experience. Um, in uh, at knowing how you shoot the scene that you shoot a master first and then you do it from you know i just didn't really know uh because i had only done my stage stuff i didn't want to sell out and um then i got to work with alec baldwin and i was just terrified i was just like i don't want to mess this up so that whole day went by like tinnitus like i was just like (laughs) just the adrenaline i think when i was done i slept for four days (laughs) i feel like that's such a specific skill to be a guest star on these established shows because you have to, again, like you're saying, you have to come in and nobody is going to take the time. Again, it's, you have to figure it all out. You, the last thing you want to do is like be slowing anyone down or anything that you just have to be able to come in and I guess not be noticed. I would think almost like just kind of be there, say your lines and not hold up the regular cast or anything. And you're, you don't know anybody or anything. Yeah. It's thankless. It's, it is a really specific skill and you have to be as good as the series regulars. You can't slow anything down. You can't mess up. You have to be better than they are in some ways too, because this, the series regulars have the familiarity of everyone. I'm like, Oh, I need to take that again. while well, I'm having a weird day or it, you cannot be having the weird day regardless of what's happening in your life. And there's a whole lot of this weird energy where you're open to being talked to if someone wants to, but sometimes people will never make eye contact with you so you're sort of like it's like a catering vibe it's just like hi no okay i'm so happy to have these nobody likes this dude okay oh you do like this dude i'm so glad you know it's it's uh a lot of adrenaline although some people who've been doing it for years and now that there are cell phones too everyone just kind of sits and minds their own business but i remember just sitting in those chairs thinking like i'm not going to initiate any conversations or be like i love you from this or you know um, and then you're just not sure if you're included in some of the conversations. So it's just so terribly awkward. Yeah, I picture like a, you know, transferring to a new school, carrying your lunch tray kind of vibe of like not knowing where to sit or who to talk to. Exactly. And I feel like the first few times any set PA, I was like, hey, what's your name? You're my best friend. Hi. Like all of this nervous energy was just unloading on them. And I remember with The Office, too, I was trying to make a reel because I now had this credit. And I think... I texted or emailed the first AD, which is not my business and not my place. And I was like, hey, it's Jean. Can I just get, do you know how I get clips for my reel for this? And I never got a response. I was like, hmm. <laughs> That's not the right person to ask that yeah. for. Leave them alone. Once you're gone, you're, you know, you're in the, um, not in the taillights. You're in the taillights. Well, I do want to ask you about one more guest spot that you did because it is my favorite show in the entire world. And uh, you were in Better Call Saul and you had uh, an amazing scene in Better Call Saul that I absolutely love. And so I definitely want to ask you just about that experience. That was um, that was a, a real lucky experience and so wonderful. And uh, um. Bob Odenkirk is so, so talented. I also knew reading that and had by then enough experience to know, like, this is a lot of emotional heavy lifting for him in a tough scene. So don't fucking be like, hey, I because he had come when I worked at Second City. He was directing. um, Is it called Let's Go to Jail? Oh, 
God. <laughs> something prison, something prison with um, oh, Will Arnett. Yeah, I think, is it Let's Go to Prison? I know what you're talking about. Let's Go about. to Prison? Yeah. So he had come back and played an improv set. But I know also that nobody necessarily wants in the beginning of the morning, like, hey, we played an improv set together 10 years ago. What's up? You know, they don't want that energy. So I just sort of like did my thing and just watched him and learned from him. I mean, he's just so talented. It was very smooth and calm and collaborative. The environment was very, um, yeah, collaborative. Sometimes there are a lot of big egos, like maybe we should try, you know, one actor will be undermining the director in one way, or there's just a lot of weird stuff that can be happening. And that was not the case here. And, but we did his coverage first. And then when we were doing my coverage, he initiated a conversation in the sort of waiting room area. Cause we were, uh, we weren't, it was in an actual office space. And, um, he had asked me if I was from Chicago or LA, because I guess the casting folks had used a lot of Chicago people as well. And I said, Oh, I've done some of both. And actually we met. And then as soon as he knew that we had improv in common in second city, he was just so generous and, uh, talked about his family and his son. And yeah, yeah, he's just so great. So great. That's good. Yeah. Like he's one of those people, there, there aren't that many people in Hollywood, but he's one that if I heard bad things about, I think that would bum me out like of just totally. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like the loveliest person in the world and and i think that that the show like the vince gilligan thing is so cool because i feel like they really do like to cast comedic actors in dramatic roles like i think that they trust people with comedy backgrounds to do that stuff and i think that that you're a good example of that of like yeah it's you're not playing a comedic role at all but you're playing this very important role you know and like i i love that scene and i love the way that you play that scene of just like you know you seem very sympathetic but very professional and he's manipulating you but doing it in a way like it's just the dynamic of that Thanks. of like when you pull the the little like post-it note out and start writing and like i don't know i just yeah that scene is great like if you could do any scene in better call Saul, you picked a really good one so thanks yeah i picked i said no a <laughs> yeah, lot. yeah 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 you were like no <laughs> save it save it for when he's betraying chuck that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> those casting directors uh uh sharon oh my gosh bialy and Sherry Thomas, I think I'm saying it right. Oh my gosh, I have a terrible memory. But they cast Handmaid's Tale. They 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 work so well to cast comedy people in dramatic roles as well. And they had cast me in one of the first things I did out here too, called Terriers, which was a show that I that's didn't a, know anyone on. That's a great show and, too. Like I yes yes that show should and have Jamie gotten more. Jamie Denbo was yeah. on that show. They they yeah. really can see how a lot of comic actors are talented at seeing the truth and are great listeners. I think improvisers and not just comic actors, but improvisers are hopefully good listeners. And I think that makes for great actors anyway. So they, they need a lot of credit and um, celebration. They're amazing. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Terriers needed more than one season, but that's a whole. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. What a sh brilliant show. And oh yeah. Donald Logan. Yeah. 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 Another guy yeah. who had a comedic background and then yes. can do really dramatic stuff too. But all right. Well, obviously, I have to ask you about AP Bio, which is a delightful show that you are fantastic on. Um, Thank you so much. So I, but I am curious about that. Like how is that something that you auditioned for? Like how did how did AP Bio come into your life? Um, yes, I did audition for that. And um, I remember reading the pilot. I don't know how I got to read the pilot, but in the pilot, 
um, the characters. So Mary Sohn's character was written as Mary and Mary is friends with the creator, the creator, Michael Bryan. I knew it at Second City in Chicago and he assistant directed my last main stage show there. Um, and I had seen him at many festivals. He's just a brilliant performer and so funny. And also from right out of the gate, had his own voice. A lot of people kind of came up imitating other people or trying to fit in. And I think he just has this raw confidence of, of doing things his way. And, uh, um, so I had read this pilot and my character was supposed to be a black woman. And then Steph's character was supposed to be Lyric Lewis's character supposed to be a blonde chick. And then Mary Stone was Mary Stone. So I was like, oh, there's nothing in this for me. But I read it anyway. And I was like, this, of course, is so brilliant and funny. And then I contacted Mary Stone because we are close friends and had just been hiking. And I was like, I just read this. Mike wrote this. I mean, what a gift in your life. You know, and she's like, yeah, but don't. This is <laughs> before they had cast it. She's like, I'm sure I'm not going to get this. You can't just tell studio executives that this is my friend and she should be a series regular. And then we all went to this sort of mix and match reading session. Um, I got to audition for it and I was like, I don't know why um, I am, but okay. And they were, they were mixing up. I mean, Mary Stone's role was pretty well cast, but they were mixing um, up women of different races for the other two roles and just being open to things. So then I got called to test for it, which I had never done before. And I was just floored. And then when I showed up to the test, it was in this, um, it was at a universal, uh, on the lot. And I super, super love law and order SVU. And in the little couch waiting area, there was a picture of, um, Mariska Hargitay. And I was like, Oh yes, my guardian angel is here. <laughs> so dorky, but, uh, in my forties, still feeling nerdy fandom. And it was like, but then Lyric Lewis came in who I had never met before. And she was like, Oh, I already got cast, but I'm going to read with everyone. And I was just like, Oh, so she's cast as Steph. And I was like, I really do have a chance. And we got to read together and the chemistry was so great. And we all made each other laugh. And I was like, this is so fun. And then I was at, we were done and I was like, I have to go audition for a Burger King commercial and <laughs> couldn't find my car. And I was like, I can't find my car. And I'm going to be late to this commercial audition. I was like, oh, to be lyric, you know, to already have this job would be so nice. And then Mary got cast and then they waited and waited and waited. And I was just like, um, what's what's the way for him right here? And then Vanessa Bayer got cast and she hadn't been at the test. And I was like, oh, fuck. I didn't know that was on the menu where someone has been offered something and you don't know about it. And then they shot the pilot and I was like, okay, back to square one in my old Toyota. Here we go. <laughs> Keep up the chin, you know? And then, um, uh, luckily I did got to work on sharp objects at HBO show. That was really fun in the meantime. And then then Vanessa wasn't able to do the whole series. And then I had to test again and I tested again and I was just like, wow, hi guys. Remember me? <laughs> you didn't cast me last time. And then we went on this family reunion thing in Colorado and they're like, you need to fly back early and test again. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I've oh, already wow. showed up, put on all the makeup, done all this stuff so many times, you know who I am, the studio, you know, and if it's not going to be me, I'm not paying to fly out. I'm very cheap, but it's, it's when you're not working, it is like $600 to fly back and hope for a job and then, you know, miss out on this family thing. And I was like, I, I have flown away from a lot of family things for 
auditions for things I haven't gotten. And I, I said, no. And then, um, I was on my way to a yoga class one morning and my agent called me. She was like, you got it. And I was just like, ah, like I just lost my mind. I remember I was near Larchmont um, Avenue and in my parked car. And I and then I was like, now I'm going to go to yoga. And I was like doing cartwheels. I was just like, wow, I'm so good at yoga today. Like, just so, so thrilled. And it is a, a delightful experience. Having had all these other experiences, some of them have been good. Some of them have been really stressful. This is no egos. Everybody is kind of comes from the top down. It's Mike O'Brien. I mean, he just hires wonderful, generous directors and uh, the cast. I mean, it is everyone's really funny. We're very lucky. Well, that's I, I think that you really did. Yeah. And it's I think that's such a cool story, too, that you're like, I'm not flying back. But like, no, the three of you really do have fantastic chemistry together. Like you, you know, talking about sort of like what we're talking about, guest stars and stuff like when Glenn Howerton's character shows up, there's already this feeling that the three of you are well established, like this group that you're clearly this like click that exists at the school. And I think that that reads right away that just the way that you all uh, play with each other, although they should be nicer to Michelle. I'm just, you know, <laughs> they can take advantage of her a little Sometimes bit. Sometimes Michelle asks for it, but they should be nicer. I agree. <laughs> I also think knowing Mary so well helps. We have chemistry and the fact that Lyric is also an improviser. She's a groundling. Like we, we know how to pick up on chemistry quickly and just make it. You can, you can make it work. And, uh, but there is also the magic that we have. Like there is something else extra there. I think you did touch on something too that I love about the character, which is, I think the funniest moments to me for your character are the self-imposed, like punishing herself moments. Like there was, uh, there's the episode last season with the the box that has the big screen TV in it, and then yes. you're. you're <laughs> You just can't, she can't tell anyone that there's not a TV in there. So it's just this escalating low stakes, but just complete inability to, uh, to do that. And then this season, the seriously, the scene that broke me was you eating a grilled cheese, like just oh. <laughs> that you do not have to eat in any way. <laughs> like, I remember reading that. I mean, the writers give us such great gifts. That was just the weirdest thing. And they just to be like, I don't like this. But it's absolutely written word for word. So we just have to basically do what they say. And it's it's so brilliantly written. It's well, just so weird. And also like, mine's as bad as yours. I have to eat a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> like as bad as dying. Well, it's also, it's, just, it's like low stakes Greek tragedy. Like you, you are trapped <laughs> by your own fate, but you know, like you could not yeah, She do has this weird code of behavior. Like even in season one where she's like, I won't leave my classroom even if I have to shit my pants. Yeah. I'll just change my clothes. Okay. Yeah, this exactly. is a rule. Yeah. No, there's a very, yeah. Like she has a very clear set of like her own, you know, it's sort of like lawful neutral, just like, um, I also, I, I'm very curious, uh, about her marriage to Keith. Like, I feel like we, you know, how do you feel about, about their marriage? Do you think it's good? Do you think they're, I think it is good. I think it's very immature yeah. and creepy, <laughs> but I also think they cherish each other in a, 
it's such a thorough way that I love the way it's written, the way that they're just like, oh my God, my, they're just so tender with each other, but they're such freaks. Yes. And the, especially this season with Keith sound mixing and the, uh, uh, I think it was season two where we did the um, murder mystery game at our house. Yes. That's a great episode. Yeah. Oh, and Brad Morris, who I've known for many years too, who's so brilliant. He's such a great guy. And just on those keyboards, like they're such shameless nerds uh no, that the, i like the creepier it gets the better for me the yeah the episode this season where there is a hurricane right there's there's the storm tornado yes. tornado yeah yeah and uh yeah it's just the explanation of the thing that he's recording that's all you know but yeah no phones all the, ringing and yeah. wind blowing and <laughs> it's actually no, a tornado no all, all of that stuff but no there was something too there was like a throwaway line that you had about you know ever since keith's brother left me at the altar there was some kind of that's the moment i knew yeah i know <laughs> Which there's I'm, this like for sure, Paula Pell's character, Helen, has, if you just charted out all of the things that have happened to her, like she has her grandfather's eye, she's been arrested, she's donated all of her eggs. Like the list of insane behaviors from Helen is pretty long, but Michelle's is it's maybe half there. that long, yeah. which is not, you know, that's no small <laughs> feat. Yeah. Uh, well, I also, speaking of, in the same way that I hear your name said by Paul F. Tompkins, I will forever, just an earworm that is stuck in my brain is pee poop masturbate. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> that was, uh, I love that episode. Um, and that was like, yeah, the shining sort of vibe, those girls in the shining and uh, shooting that was really fun. Oh, God. And it's just such a perfect. Well, Michael Bryan has sisters and I think they have the same sort of vibe. I think they're all older than he is. I'm pretty sure. So I think they have the same sort of vibe where they sort of like bully him into like gentle, like loving, lovingly bullying them. Is that how you say it? But um, uh, so I think he really captures that like uh, that dynamic and also making games out of absolutely nothing like pizza slap is a Mary Stone <laughs> yes. game from like college or touring. And I think when you tour, especially for the second city, you spend a lot of time in the van and you're with some really funny people who are just getting really bored and really stupid. And after an hour, it's like, let's make this little toy. You, you just, sorry, I won't even, get no, no, no. <laughs> but like, um, one time I was on the road and we had this, we, at a gas station picked up this little yellow it looked like a little yellow happy face and the body was made of like stretch armstrong stuff and we had it like hosting a whole show it was walking <laughs> along the van and it, 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 most of them end in some sort of masturbation stupid like 11 year old humor as we all t tended to at, the, at that time now i'm way more yeah yeah than that for you're sure. an adult now yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but um so people who masturbate very very much in the wheelhouse of improvisers on tour and oh yeah for sure yeah no improvisers it's all just to be childish and you know do all the things that you want to do like 100 percent. yeah that's what's fun yeah, about it it's, yeah. it's such a great opportunity to be playful like truly playful as an adult instead of like playing a competitive sport or doing something like that it's just like silly no stakes goofy playfulness that a lot of people just i remember i worked at this insurance company when i was in chicago and i first got cast on the touring company of Second City. And one of the salesmen I worked for, I like wrote like memos and stuff for them. And I was terrible. They were like, there's 17 misspellings. Could you just read this one more, go over this one more time? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and um, 
one of them came up to me and he was like, I, I, I would just love to bartend at second city, man, like that. And I was like, Oh my God, your life is being an insurance salesman. And I get to do this. Okay. This is hard, but like, I, I get to do it. Oh yeah. No, it, it's so much fun. Uh, I also, what is Mike O'Brien's thing with spaghetti? I'm trying to figure that out. Like he seems weird because that episode, like there's a reoccurring thing in AP oh. bio with people eating spaghetti and there's Glenn Howerton eats like a giant bag of spaghetti in that episode as yeah. he's losing. But there's throughout the show, like there's, there's some, he has, I, if I ever talk to Mike O'Brien, I'm going to ask him about a spaghetti obsession. Cause yeah. My husband has a theory. My husband is Brian Finkelstein, who's super duper awesome. And we watch a lot of TV and he has noticed he's like, everyone on TV eats spaghetti or salads. And uh, he's also a writer. He's not just a yeah, TV yeah. watcher. Those. Um, but it's, I think it is something that is easy to make. It's very clear what it is. You know, if, if you can also just technically you can eat it and keep going. Like if you have a hot dog and take bites, you have to reset with a new oh. hot dog. If you have a steak and cut it, you cut it. So with spaghetti, it's sort of this pile and you can just keep working with it. And it's just, <laughs> Got good color. I don't know. It might just be that it's good for TV, but Mike uh, O'Brien might have a weird spaghetti <laughs> fetish. <laughs> I, never th- I never thought about that. Yeah, the, yeah. Just for continuity's sake, spaghetti's easier. Right, now that makes me wonder: Are you someone? Do you do you eat food in scenes, or do you try to like push I the eat food it. around? You go for it. <laughs> that sounds so gross. There was once, uh, I think it was season three, where they were talking about slop glopping. I think that was a phrase that came up, and Michelle would just eat sandwiches and stuff would fall out of it oh, but yeah, i was yeah, yeah. taking monster yeah. bites and there was another scene i remember in season one mary and i had this sort of fight and i was eating beefy broccoli and i remember just putting a bunch of chinese food in my mouth and being like it's my beefy broccoli and i was cracking her up but it's not i don't work every day of the week if we're shooting an episode i work two days so maybe one day I eat a lot of Chinese food. It's not like, oh, my swimsuit model figure, you know, like it doesn't matter to me. Plus, I love to eat. I was so bad for James Gandolfini in The Sopranos because <gasps> I feel like he was constantly made him eat in every scene and he's in every scene. Like, yeah, yeah. Just and all all carbs, like all pasta, just heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I, I mean, I, sometimes <laughs> if you're not into it, it but it, it's such a tricky thing. When I watch actors eat salads, especially, or like stir stuff around on their plate and like take small bites, it makes me so mad. Like, don't, no, don't that's why do I have, yeah, because I, and I imagine, yeah, with you and your husband, yeah, like me and my wife, when we watch TV, yeah, it's like if, if people are, if it's obvious that an actor is not eating, it bothers me. Like if they're, they're going out of their way to push their food around or like they don't want to yes. eat, you know. Or like we're just sitting here at the table with big plates of food, holding a fork and talking. For exactly. Like, yeah. That does not happen. Not no. my house. Yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I definitely. Um, yeah. I like when people eat like they, they should. <laughs> yeah, so I also we- feel the way about smoking where people sometimes will hold a cigarette and they'll just pull and just without inhaling. And it's like, don't don't bother doing it if you're not going to really smoke, even though we shouldn't see we shouldn't be smoking. But uh, well, first of all, smoking looks cool in movies. Like people shouldn't smoke; it's bad for you. But it looks pretty cool. Yes. Like and and also, it is. That's one of those things I feel like with actors that it's super obvious uh, who is a smoker and who isn't. You can always spot that. Like the people that like really like. I almost imagine there's some actors that like they love that they get to smoke on camera, and you can see that. Like that reads that yeah. they're just really enjoying. <laughs> But that's the way it used to be in Hollywood. I mean, you it's like Betty Davis. I don't think she did a scene without a cigarette no in her way. mouth. Yeah. 
That's just classic Hollywood right there. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking about it with a friend of mine. It felt it. I mean, I smoked for years and I look like a non-smoker. Like I look like a Midwest non-smoker and I was. But it just it was a great excuse to leave a conversation or a table <laughs> to go outside and have a cigarette. And I so I like to take breaks. So that was always nice. But also it was like a way to take a deep breath, even though it was full of poison. It was just like. And I guess it wasn't until I started doing yoga years later that I was like, oh, maybe I just need to take a deep breath. But it's not so cool to take a yoga breath. It doesn't look so cool. No, there's a, that's the thing. There's not an equivalent. And I, I had an office job. I used to work for a newspaper when I was young. And I remember the mm. editor smoked and like all the these all these other reporters smoked and I didn't. But they would just they'd go outside and they'd have like an hour long smoke break. And that's how like he talked to them about all of the aside. Like I was being like left out of Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there isn't, you can't be like, well, I'm going to stand here next to yeah, all of you. just going to go get some fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that in bars, like there isn't that moment. Uh, it's funny that my wife actually says that too of like, because she used to smoke. And that was like when she knew, like looking back, she knew I was into her because I just, I was, she's like, I'm going to go out and smoke. And I was like, I'm going to stand with you while you go outside and smoke and talk to you. Like, which is, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we've gotten, I feel like we got off track from AP Bio, but I think that's all right. But Oh, uh, man, yeah. I, <laughs> we got off the spaghetti track. It was the spaghetti. I think that's what did it. Was did it was the spaghetti. Uh, but I've, I've sort of talked about the show, but I maybe should have set it up a little bit better. Um, if people have not seen the show or if people, you know, like, what would you say? Like, we sort of talked about this specific. It's hilarious and everyone should watch it. But like, what, how would you pitch the show to someone if they haven't? Oh, boy. I think there's um, a unique sense of kindness and gentleness to the comedy in the show, it, paired with a deep cynicism. I think that's what's <laughs> satisfying to me. Jack's character, who is, uh, uh, <clears throat> he is, uh, Glenn Howerton's character has been kicked out of Harvard. He has to teach high school in Toledo. So you have this element of him being a total snob, his character being a total snob. So that scratches the itch of people who love those kind of references and do think they're the smartest person in the room and need to relate to that. But then he is surrounded by the goofiest, silliest, sweetest people who just don't care about that. So it's, he doesn't win by having you know traveled more or this or that they're like we love toledo and we love this <laughs> job and we love each other so that warmth um and Patton's character has it uh Patton oswald and uh, uh helen um uh paula pell's character and and the students like i was just recently talking about the students usually there's one or two like nerd or dork characters but like here is a whole room full of people who would usually be misfits. And that is the the common denominator here. And that's who's winning. Like, we, especially after Trump won. So that was 2016. I guess this show started in 2017. We started shooting. It was such a dark time with bullies everywhere. The sound of Trump's voice and the sound of all of these people who were radio personalities and this and that in the news, just all of this negative bullying stuff. So to have these vulnerable people just shining and be so strong because they're vulnerable made me really happy and really proud to be a part of a show that was written that way. 
Yeah, I definitely think that's a trend. Like you can see that with Ted Lasso too. I think people are hungry for positivity. <laughs> like we've had so much negativity that also just kind of similar to that too. I love the way that show looks like whatever the color grading is that they do on AP Bio. It's a very pleasant looking show just aesthetically. Yeah, the cinematographer, uh, Blake, can't remember his last name because I have a terrible... And he also wasn't with us this last season. Um, Blake Davis, I think it is. It, it They worked really hard with the... Um, uh, with the pilot and the design of everything is is really great. And my husband was also like, they don't use chalkboards in school anymore. It's whiteboards. But this was a, a design choice, a color choice. There's a lot of teal and um, mustardy. And yeah, I love that. I love it too. A lot of people are like, have some more blue, why don't you or whatever. But I just think it's beautiful and it has a unique look to it. It's, yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, it definitely sets it apart. And yeah, it, I, it's just a very pleasing, pleasing color spectrum, I feel like too. Like it's just nice. It's nice to look at and it's full of nice people. So it's, it's it a, is. Yeah. And also a lot of them have blue eyes. That's true too. Yeah. And, so and again, really... yeah. Cause I think Glenn Howard didn't right? like the, the, something with the color grading, like it makes his eyes look like, like they sparkle. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but no, and I think you, you nailed that too, in terms of like, I, I think that that, cause there's been a, you know, there's a lot of shows about inspirational teachers. There's a lot of shows about, uh, bad, you know, there's literally a movie called Bad Teacher, you know, like they, yeah. they, they kind of had that like dangerous minds and then it swung the other way. But I think this like threads a really interesting needle in that. Yeah, everyone else is so positive. And also you have a situation that I think is a really smart inversion where it's he doesn't want to teach, but he's teaching an AP class that all they want is to be taught <laughs> like biology. Yes, that's so different, too. It's not yeah. like these kids who are like trying to smoke and get out of there. They're just like, please, any information. <laughs> yeah. Like the number of times that he starts saying something, he's like, no, no, that's not, I'm not teaching you. No, but yes, <laughs> like, they uh, perk up so hard. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. a great show and it is a stacked cast. Yeah. Like it just, the number of like brilliant, uh, comedic, you know, like comedic performances on that. It makes me very happy. Paula Pell is amazing. And I, Oh my yeah. God, she's so brilliant. And also, a wonderful human being. I mean, she's just like so warm and she's a champion for every underdog and she's just like out there politically like on Twitter. I just admire her so much. Also, right. She wrote an episode one season. She can do everything. Um, I also think that it does help that a Patton is a writer and, and Glenn is also a writer and a producer. Everyone kind of understands how, I think that removes some of the diva quality about it. Like we need to get this done and we need to do it well. And we're going to all work hard and take care of each other in that way too. Not just like, I'm a star. Hi, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not that vibe except from Mary's zone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it is a great show. Everyone should definitely watch it. Uh, and it's, uh, everything's available now, right? Like it's all. Yeah. On, it's on yeah. Peacock. Our, our fourth season just came out and, um, yeah, they're also great guest stars and uh yeah, it's it's really weird. It's also just not an, it's not the normal recipe for comedy. And since we we were on NBC for two seasons and now that we're on Peacock, it's much weirder. So if you want to see something that's not a normal sitcom recipe, this is you know, I keep saying recipe. I love to eat. 
Yeah, yeah. Beefy broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's, no, it's definitely getting weirder and I'm very into that. Like, I'm, yeah, again, like you said, the the spaghetti episode from last season, like the, I'm calling it the spaghetti episode, the Descent into Madness episode from last season. But then this season, yeah, there's a lot of uh, different like genre stuff. There's the, I think the the first episode is it's all like, uh, you know, slash fiction that the kids are writing. Yes. Yeah. And there's an episode early on that's like Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. And it's everything that happens before the bell even starts. Yeah. Yeah. Just different perspectives. And yeah, yeah. It's it's constantly surprising. I think Mike has a great ability to I know this is an overused phrase, but like zag when everyone else is zigging or the other way. Like he just he has a great instinct to change it up before everyone else does. Also, it just hit me. You guys did a law and order Thing after you talked about auditioning. Oh, that's right. We yeah. had our peacoats on. That's yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> a little law and order homage in there. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, oh, Mariska. Uh, she's always watching out for you. She's, she's always there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to tell people about? Anything else coming up that, that people should be aware of? Or? I don't think so. I used to do improv shows, but everything's sort of still halting let's see nope i can't think of anything <laughs> this is it yeah. this is it yeah because zoom improv does not i have friends that have done it and it's it's hard to get into like it's not it's not the same yeah i haven't seen it yet i think i'm just gonna let it go by yeah, you gotta wait you gotta <laughs> wait till uh we all can get back into theater spaces yes. and do it again yeah, for I sure it's, it. yeah no it's that energy you will never get that energy unless it's in person experience some, experiencing something live together is unique although a friend of mine and i play music hopefully we'll do a show soon and we just were able to do a bat mitzvah we play like 70s covers with a some harmonies and play guitar and playing live music with people was outside was like oh my god everyone we we need to connect everybody does that is delightful can people hire you for that like if they yes (laughs) yeah how do they do that like i feel like someone's having a bat mitzvah that they know yes well this was a friend of a friend so they they it was easy to contact us but you can reach out to me on the socials it, oh. it's, it's so just yeah. weird on the seashells villa peak villa peak but say it the way paul of tompkins says it yeah for sure you have to have that you it has to have a lyrical quality to it or it doesn't <laughs> there you go Utterly delightful. So much fun talking to her. I mean, I think you can hear there were times that I kind of even forgot I was doing an interview. I was just enjoying the conversation. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, if you're a fan of AP Bio, check out the archives on hobotrashcan.com. I have also interviewed Glenn Howerton from the show. I've interviewed Patton Oswald uh, from the show. And also, if you're a fan of Glenn Howerton, uh, I've done interviews with the other cast members from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, I have done interviews with cast members from The Office when it was on the air. So there's a lot in the archives. Go to hobotrashcan.com. Check those out. Make sure to subscribe to the show if you like. We'll have more interviews coming up soon. And that's going to do it for us this week. So remember, question everything.
This is Jean Villapique, and you're listening to Hobo Radio. Bring your own bindle. BYOB. That's good. Okay. I like it. If you want to do 12 more, you can, but I think that's we got okay. It. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> that was your only hobo reference. <laughs> is that everyone's reference? Uh, I did. I remember Janet Varney said something about beans when I got her to do beans? it. Yeah. Aww, Cause you can eat a can of beans. Okay. She is delightful. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's usually something in there. Railroads, you know, there's, <laughs> it's my fault. I'm putting that in your head. It's what do you associate? I don't mind. Hobo Radio is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. In a world where people watch movies. I think I'm going to watch a movie. Sometimes they don't like what they see. I don't like this movie. Sometimes they look for the silver lining. Wait a second. I like this part of this movie. Joel and Andy, do that work for you. The Silver Linings Playback. I like this part of this podcast where they tell me the part of the movie I like. Every Monday on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.